Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In his article, The Ethical Significance of Cost-Benefit Analysis for Business and the Professions, Robert Audi is going to make a case why people other than utilitarians ought to take cost-benefit analysis seriously, at least in applied ethics, particularly in business ethics. And one of the groups who he is reaching out to or targeting are what we call virtue ethicists. And if you're not familiar with this idea, it's often associated with Aristotle and a number of other thinkers. The Stoics would be examples of virtue ethicists. And it continues all the way down to the present. There's a supposed revival of virtue ethics, which is really just a revival of virtue ethics in Anglo-American philosophy, because it never went away in other philosophical traditions. And the idea is that in ethics, it's not enough just to identify what the right thing or the wrong thing is to do, we want to think about people's characters and character traits, good and bad, and how these are developed and how they affect motivation. So in traditional Greek ethics, uh, on the one hand, we had Aristotle who's kind of an outlier, identifying a whole bunch of virtues. And then we had, you know, the cardinal virtues tradition that goes all the way back to somebody like Plato or the the Cynics, the Epicureans also acknowledge these, the Stoics do. So, you know, wisdom, justice, courage, temperance, and they might place other traits underneath these, like great solidness, right, that Aristotle treats separately. But the idea is that we can identify certain basic habits, traits, whatever we want to call them, that we ought to cultivate. And to be a good person means not just doing the right thing or doing good things, or making good decisions, but doing it out of virtue, right? So having those traits developed. And so we can ask ourselves this big question. All right, so cost-benefit analysis doesn't really say much about that. What roles could cost-benefit analysis have or play in virtue ethics as traditionally understood? And Audi's going to say, you know, it may seem that cost-benefit analysis could have at best a minor role. And he then says, you know, that's not what I want to say. This diagnosis seems kind of superficial, but why would they say that? So he says, taking a decision to blow the whistle rather than protest internally, the example he's been using, we might use an analysis of cost-benefit to choose an optimal way of proceeding, but the basic decision must be made in terms of what he calls aritaic notions such as veracity, fidelity, and beneficence. We decide first how to be, what kind of person to be, right? In the situation of choice, what character traits such as veracity should govern our conduct? Only then does probability or number crunching come in. And this is what he says is actually kind of superficial. So he's trying to make a case for why it is that it wouldn't just be we start with these traits and then maybe we use cost-benefit analysis merely instrumentally. And he's got a couple points that he's going to make about this. So he says, um, can we not reflect on how valuable it is to be faithful, to have that character trait and to exhibit it in a given 
situation. So could we assign numerical values to some of these different virtues? And you know, assigning it perhaps to having the virtue or acting on the virtue or being motivated by that, displaying it in action. So, you know, we could ask that about how valuable is it to be truthful? That's what veracity is, honesty. Faithfulness, you know, fidelity, loyalty, following through on commitments, benevolence, doing good to other people, right? Which is actually for, for some virtue ethics, a part of justice, right? So that's one good consideration. And then we do have another one. This is where it gets a little bit more controversial. Some virtue ethicists want to say that virtues never conflict with each other, right? And others would say, well, they do conflict with each other, except in somebody who's fully developed. And we're not sure if we've ever seen somebody like that. So it may be a purely ideal case. And then there's other virtue ethicists who are perfectly fine saying there are going to be at certain times irreconcilable conflicts between particular virtues, right? Perhaps faithfulness and veracity could come into conflict. And the one that Audi is going to use is faithfulness and benevolence. And he's going to say, yeah, these actually can come into conflict with each other. And he gives uh, an example coming from actual business ethics. The Merck Corporation had to decide whether to expend considerable resources to contribute to curing river blindness. And, you know, there's, there's two things going on here. The company itself, the decision makers could be acting virtuously in accordance with the virtue of benevolence. But yeah, it's a company, so it's supposed to be making money, actually maximizing profits for its shareholders. So doing an action that is in accordance with, motivated by one virtue, could actually conflict with what another virtue would dictate in those circumstances. And Audi's suggesting that perhaps we could use cost-benefit analysis to figure this out, right? And he's got another example here, faithfulness to a friend resulting in allowing the performance of inefficient work affecting a large number of people. So what we can do is assign numbers to represent the respective values. We have to say, well, how valuable is it to be X in this? And then we look at them and compare them and decide for the option that seems to have the highest overall value. And he says that we can add a further wrinkle. Might there not be questions as to whether we really would be exhibiting a given value by performing a given deed, say, because beneficence towards one party might fail to be beneficence towards another and thereby fail to exhibit beneficence overall. He doesn't give an example there, but we can easily think of things like you show beneficence to your children, but that means that you slough off at work and you don't do the things that you ought to do as a customer service representative, helping other people with their cases, right? Because you're so distracted by your children, the beneficence that you're showing them. You're not really beneficent in that case. So those are some good considerations. And then he's going to consider two particular virtues within which there seems to be more scope for cost-benefit analysis. And I leave it to you, those who know something about virtue ethics, to think, did he perhaps miss an opportunity to talk about other virtues and how they could involve cost-benefit analysis? For example, courage or temperance or virtues like those. So he talks about practical wisdom or what we can call prudence, right? He says, on any version of virtue ethics, practical wisdom plays an essential role. And this is, this is quite true. In any 
real virtue ethics, not just people coming up with lists of virtues. Practical wisdom in traditional virtue ethics is really central. And he says, where can it come in when a cost-benefit framework is incorporated? And he says, ranking, ranking the different values may require uh, practical wisdom. So doing cost-benefit analysis well in a virtue ethics perspective needs practical wisdom to be cultivated. And he says, even greater reflection may be needed to estimate how much more important one value is than another. So if we're going to think through the conflicts, we need practical wisdom as well. And practical wisdom in virtue ethics is not reducible to rules or decision procedures like that, for example, of cost-benefit analysis. So it's something else that is supervening, that is adding something in. But he says, this is not to ignore the need for practical wisdom in calculating certain probabilities. We have to think about, you know, evidential testimony, the people that give it, practical wisdom is needed for that. And so he considers the idea that a cost-benefit framework is compatible with virtue ethical thinking. And then he says, there's also room to bring in quantification to the aid of this thinking and to practical wisdom itself. So instead of cost-benefit analysis merely being one tool out of many for practical wisdom, there will be, according to Audi, some cases in which cost-benefit analysis has to be used for applications of wisdom. Doesn't mean that we need to make a whole spreadsheet or anything like that, he says. So he gives an example. Consider a decision on salary distribution in a given year. Now, this is also a matter of justice, as we're going to talk about in just a moment, but it is also practical wisdom. A manager might have responsibility for a dozen employees doing four different kinds of jobs and relative to half a dozen relevant variables. You might think the chief virtue here is justice, but if we seek to represent all of the relevant variables for a cost-benefit analysis, we might also think about another consideration, the responsibility to keep the team strong for the sake of the overall organization. That might make replaceability of an employee relevant in a way. It might not be if only justice is in consideration. So practical wisdom brings other considerations in. And he says, this leads us to a comprehensive representation, right? And he also talks about thinking about merit. So this is where we're going to get to talking about justice directly. And he says that, so we're going to make, you know, some sort of decision about who gets what money, who gets what rewards for the work that they've done. How do we decide the merit? Who is deserving of this and to what extent? And he says that, there's a lot of different things that cost-benefit analysis brings to the table. One benefit is the possibility of rationally, notice that rationally combining different factors, especially when some are positive and some are negative. Another is making sure we don't treat one person better than another who is equally deserving, right? And so he says, let's think of an example. Imagine that the criteria for judging the salespeople are sales figures, generation of customer satisfaction, contributions to the advertising plan, efficiency and paperwork, time on the job, management of displays, supportiveness towards others on the team. And he says, even if we can reasonably give scores to an employee for each of these, and if we didn't need probabilities to represent uncertainties, weighing these factors for one person as compared to the others is very difficult difficult without numbers, without quantification. We need to assign some numbers. They may not be perfect numbers, but we need to 
have some way of evaluating, right? And so he says that if the goal is to realize the virtue of fairness, these kinds of calculations done in cost-benefit analysis may be in practice indispensable. So here, at least in justice or fairness, we see that in some applications of it, particularly in business settings, cost-benefit analysis may be not just an adjunct, not just a tool, but an essential part of what it means to think through things in a just manner. The virtue of justice in this case, in these cases, would require something like cost-benefit analysis. So Audi is making a case here. And again, uh, you could think about, could this apply to other virtues that are generally recognized by virtue ethicists? He stops here with just prudence and justice, perhaps selecting what he thinks are the best cases. But we could extend this particular way of thinking about the relationship between virtue ethics and cost-benefit analysis a little bit further. And, you know, you might want to think about that on your end. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.